Thank you, Dave. Can you pray with me? Father, truly it is enough, as Howie said, it is enough that you have saved us when none of us is worthy. This is what grace is. Not just that you declared us innocent when we were truly guilty, but then you continued to bless us. Unmerited favor. What kind of a God? What kind of a God would do that to people that were in rebellion against Him? Only you, O oh God. Only you. And so we pray that today as we look to your word to understand your mind just a bit more, that you would open the eyes of our heart so that we might see you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. <clears throat> Welcome again to all of you who came in late. This morning, I'm going to start by explaining something that I think I've seen happening. You've probably seen it too over the years as time has progressed on. I think most people would consider themselves to be deeply physical people. Here's what I mean by that. I think that most people would admit that they are able to accept things that they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and taste with their mouth and touch with their hands and smell with their nose more so than they're able to accept spiritual things, right? Sometimes I think when people come into church, pastors, preachers can be guilty of, I'm, I'm probably one of the most guilty of this, of preaching on a subject that is deeply spiritual hoping that, expecting that people who've just come in from outside the physical world who might not, they may have been arguing on their way over and now they're deeply disturbed and then we talk about spiritual things and you're like, wait, 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 what? I'm not even there yet, Pastor. I just had an argument because my kids were screaming in the car and now you're talking about things that are just way over my head. When somebody says, whoa, that, that was deep, what they're really saying is that was deep on a spiritual level. It was just a little bit too uh, beyond the veil in my mind for me to grasp it right away. You need to walk me there. You know what I mean by when I say the veil in your mind? Most people have a curtain in their mind that enables them to see a certain number of physical things, but when you ask them to peel that veil back and see something that is a deeper truth, sometimes it can be hard for people. Sometimes you have to kind of ask the Lord to help you get there before you can see things that are reality, really. You know the Bible. The Bible is it's not a physical book. We talked about this for the past two weeks on our Wednesday nights. The Bible is a unique collection of 66 books. And even though it has been translated into English and other languages, many other languages, it is written in the language of another world, another realm or another dominion, if you will. This is a spiritual book, 66 of them. And so to open it and think that you'll be able to grasp these things when your mind is fixated on the physical is really unrealistic. That's why the scripture says that we're not able to understand the Bible unless God himself opens up our eyes to see what it means. You just can't do it. It's interesting when you use the word realm. I kind of... People are a little hesitant to use that word in the church because lots of people consider, this, consider themselves to be spiritual people. We have a good friend, Ashley and I, that considers herself to be a deeply spiritual pe- person, but she doesn't know anything about the Lord. 
a new age spirituality. Lots of people consider themselves to be spiritual because they do yoga or they listen to spiritual music. But what does it really mean to be spiritual, of the spirit, to have the eyes of your heart open? This morning, I'm pre-framing you for the message that we're going to get into in Genesis because if you're not able to ask the Lord to help you see past the surface, you're going to have a real big problem with the passage that we're in today. Lots of the confusion that people have over the Bible comes because they're thinking about things only on a surface level, physical level. When God says, no, 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 no. There are lots of physical things in the Bible that point to deeper spiritual truths. To illustrate this a little bit further, if you were to go home and look in the mirror, you might say, well, there, I see myself. Actually, that's not true. Some people say that we are physical beings having occasional or momentary spiritual experiences. It's just the opposite. We're spiritual beings having an occasional 70 to 80 years of a physical experience. It's so crucial that Christians begin to look at themselves as spiritual beings, first and foremost. When you look in the mirror, you're not seeing you. You've never actually really seen you. All you've seen is the outer shell. The you that lives inside, the spiritual you, that's the real you. And so this morning, before we even get into Genesis, I need you to kind of ask the Lord in your quietness of your mind, Lord, please help me to see the deeper spiritual truths of your word. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. You know, spiritual blindness was very rampant when Jesus came onto the earth. Very rampant. It was what condemned the Pharisees. Did you know that? When Jesus came and was talking to the Pharisees, he was trying to get them to understand what was really happening, and they couldn't see it. Spiritual blindness led to the condemnation of the Pharisees, and it continues to be the thing that leads to the condemnation of every unbeliever today. It's that they can't see. All throughout the New Testament, you hear this phrase over and over again. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. In Revelation, you hear this phrase, he who has an ear, let him hear. He who has eyes, let him see. So that's my prayer. This was my prayer all week. Lord, I pray that the people of IBC that come this week would have eyes to see what's really being said here. I want you to focus on, before we even get into Genesis, what Jesus says to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was one of the Pharisees whose eyes were fixated on the physical. And Jesus was trying to help him understand what it meant to be born again. Listen to the dialogue that happens between these two men. And listen closely with ears to hear and eyes to see. Let's put it up on the screen, Frank. Listen to this dialogue. Jesus says, it's in John 3, 1 through 12, if you want to go there. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from, come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, I imagine he's shaking his head. Oh, he's blind. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. 
The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Listen to Nicodemus. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things or physical things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things or spiritual things? Do you see what was happening between Jesus and Nicodemus? Nicodemus had grown up in an environment where everything that mattered was physical. The religious signs, the religious rituals, all the things that man would say, now there's a, there's a guy who knows God. The outward appearance. That's what Nicodemus, that's the culture that Nicodemus had grown up in. And Jesus came and said, you're blind. You see nothing. You're completely blind. And he's talking to one of the religious teachers, a ruler of the Jews. How could Jesus say such a thing? I wonder what he would say to the church if he came today. Would he say to them, now there's a group of people in Beach Haven, New Jersey, whose eyes are open. They don't trust what they see physically They see the real truth, the spiritual truth that is more real than the physical things. Boy, I hope he would. You know, in the Bible, these two things are pitted against one another. Do you know that? The physical against the spiritual. Here's what it says. It says the life that you're living right now, the Bible calls that the life in the flesh. You've probably read that if you've read the New Testament. The life in the flesh, the life you now live in the flesh. That's your physical life. Then it compares that to where it says, the life that comes down from God. This is your spiritual life. All those who are born again, that Jesus is talking about to Nicodemus, those people have been made alive by the Spirit. It's important that you understand these things, because if you don't, when we go to a place in Genesis, where we're going to talk about today, where it's talking about a deeply physical thing that has a spiritual truth, you're going to be like, what is going on here? So... Genesis 17, 9 through 27. With all that said, I hope that you will hear with spiritual ears this morning. Let's turn with me together in your Bibles. Genesis 17, last week we went through the first eight verses. God renamed Abraham and he made a covenant with him. He started making this covenant and he continues making the covenant here today. Genesis 17, beginning in verse 9 and going down through the end of the chapter. It's a lot of text for today. And God said to Abram, Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my uh, covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. 
I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who's a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who's ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him. I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house, or bought with his money, every male among them of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. His son was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Ooh, that's a mouthful, huh? If you've ever wondered why the Bible talks so much about circumcision, today's your day. I'm hoping that you'll leave here today and you'll have no more questions about this very strange, and in our culture, kind of an awkward thing to even talk about. You know, I read about one preacher who said, every time that subject comes up, the temptation is so strong, just skip it. And I understand that temptation because this is a little strange. In our culture, we just don't talk about things like that. But today, I want you to leave with a real understanding beneath the truth of the physical. We want to go deeper and say, why would a God command something so strange to his people? I think we're going to understand when I talk about a little illustration. We're going to unpack this passage one step at a time. But I want to tell you something that was a a custom that's been going on since the ancient days of Egypt. It's still going on today. It hasn't really changed much. You take a hot iron or something with a symbol on it or a poker and you take it to a livestock and you'd stick it to a livestock. What is that called? Branding. That's right. Let's put a picture of it just in case somebody's not familiar. This is what it looks like when you brand a livestock. You take a symbol. That way it does what? It makes sure that other people know who this livestock belongs to. This was a custom in the ancient days of Israel. It was a custom in the ancient days of Egypt. It was a sign of identity. Whose whose owner is this livestock? Well, guess what? That is precisely what God is doing with his people way back at the beginning. The title for today's message is Branded for His Domain. And the big idea, I always like to give a big idea or a main lesson so that when you go out of here afterwards, you know exactly what the sermon was about. Here's what it is if you want to jot it down. The big idea for today, God brands all those who are His. He did it at the beginning and He continues to do it today. Let me explain how that is. Point number one for today We are branded for intimacy. That's the first thing we're going to see about this whole idea of circumcision. Look back with me at just the first two verses of Genesis. We are branded for intimacy. God says, This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. 
You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. This sign or this branding or this marking, do you know what it was? It was a symbol of new identity. In this covenant, here's what God is doing. This is the moment where God is separating a people group that will be his own possession. He said it in this passage several times, I will be their God, they will be my people. Remember how we got to this place in Genesis 17. Everybody knows what happens in Genesis 1, right? Adam and Eve are made, they sin, God has to kick them out of the garden because he cannot, he's so holy, he cannot be in the presence of people who are in rebellion against him. So all these things have happened from Noah to Cain and Abel to the Tower of Babel to Abraham, Abram being called out. And now God is separating this people group that are going to be the people group through which, don't miss this, he reverses what happened in the Garden of Eden. God is beginning that process right now by separating a people group for his own possession. Like branding those cattle, God is saying, from this day forward, Abraham, you are mine. And everyone that comes after you from your seed is mine. You are my possession, and I will be your God. We will have this special, unique relationship. This is a symbol of new identity. Now, let's get into what everybody really wants to know. Why there? Why circumcision? Why not somewhere else on the male body? Why there, Lord? I'll tell you what, I did so much reading of this on Tuesday and Wednesday, I got tired. I had to go for a walk because I was like, whoa, this is just, this is just too much. There's so much disagreement about this, and I think it really is actually very simple. Very simple. The answer is right in Genesis. When Adam and Eve committed the first crime against God, what part of Adam's body did he cover up? Look back with me at Genesis 3. Let's read it together. The moment Adam committed the first crime, look at what it says they did. Genesis 3, verse 7. I have it up on the screen. So Adam and Eve commit this crime. Listen to what it says. Then the eyes of, then the eyes of both were opened, and they, knew what they, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. That's weird. They committed the sin with their hand and their mouth, right? They went and plucked the fruit off, whatever it was, and they ate it. Why not make gloves or a hat? Why loincloths? I think it's very obvious. This area, the loins of a man, are the most intimate part of him. That's why Adam and Eve instinctively knew the moment they committed a crime against God to cover up. Because they knew I now understand that I'm naked. This was an intimate part. This is the part of Adam that was the representation of his manhood. And so here, a little bit later on in the same book in Genesis, we find God creating a covenant on that same area. What is God saying? It's so obvious. If you are going to be my people and I'm going to be your God, this must be intimate. This can't be a generic thing. I'm not a far-off God. I'm a God that has to be in the very deepest part of you, the part you think no one else sees, I see. This is not a far-off thing. This is the deepest intimacy anyone will ever have with you. 
That's why it had to be where it was on Adam. So that every time that a male would see himself, he would remember, oh yes, that's right, I belong to God. Do you know why this was? Because God knew the deep pull that the physical world would have on his new spiritual people. He knew this was going to be impossible for them to do. That's why he had to put it on a part of them, these men, that they would never forget. Every time they saw themselves, they knew, oh yes, this God has a closer intimate connection with me than any other being. That's why it was there. Listen to me. This ring, this ring is a symbol of my commitment to Ashley. Do you know why it's round? Because it's supposed to be eternal. No one can undo it. Let no man put aside or put asunder what God has joined together. Do you know where this symbol came from? Circumcision. Circumcision means to cut around. This is where the idea from the wedding ring came from. Did you know that? So we put it on our hand as a sign of the covenant between me and my wife. A symbol that I am going to be intimate with you in a way that I'm intimate with no other woman. And this symbol pales in comparison to the intimate way that God knows me and that God knows my wife. This is what was being started way back in the beginning. It's been personal since the beginning. This isn't something Christians just invented. Circumcision eventually became the symbol that Jewish people would recognize themselves as. This was their calling card, if you will. That's why it's mentioned so often in the New Testament. That's why when Jesus came, he talked about circumcision. That's why Paul mentions it all the time, because he found himself doing battle with these people who said, we're the circumcised ones. We're the ones who really know God. No one else knows us because we're circumcised. This became their their, um, area of pride, the fact that they were circumcised. What does that tell you? They focused only on the physical sign. They couldn't see the spiritual truth underneath of it. Listen to what Paul says about this. This is so important. The true reason that God began this way was because, don't miss this, you might want to jot it down, God wanted his people to eventually have their hearts circumcised. Now, if you're sitting there, go, wait a second. How can a heart be circumcised? I want to read to you a couple texts that will open, open your eyes to it. Listen to what Paul wrote. I just picked two out of a number of them. Romans 2, 29. No, a man is a Jew because he is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise does not come from men, but from God. Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. All that matters is faith expressed through love. Now, in case you're thinking, well, if you have any Jewish friends and you went to tell them, circumcision means nothing if it is detached from the heart. And they say, that's just that New Testament Paul's interpretation of it. Guess what? They would be wrong. This was something in the Old Testament that even prophets talked about. Circumcision means nothing. What matters is the heart. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah says way back in the Old Testament. Jeremiah says this, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskins of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. 
what Jeremiah and Paul both understood, and what I hope you're starting to understand, is that all these meaningless rituals, religious rituals, let me tell you a few. Coming to church, throwing some money in the plate when it comes around, even getting baptized, even participating in the Lord's Supper. If the heart is detached from it, they mean nothing. Nothing. These are religious, ritualistic things that human beings do because they think it will appease God. And it doesn't. Way back from the beginning, what was God's interest? The heart. The heart. God's purpose was to separate a people for himself so that he would have an intimate relationship with them. That's the first thing we see in this text. The second point for today is they were branded for reproduction. Branded for reproduction. Boy, I hope you don't miss this. This was the point that really, really struck me the most this week. God tells Abraham, if you caught it there, God tells Abraham that Hagar, the woman that he had a son with, whose name was Ishmael, Hagar's, daughter, Hagar's son with him, would not be the son through which all the promises of God would be fulfilled, but a son that would come from Sarah. Sarah. And what was Abraham's response when God told him this? Listen to what it says in verse 17. So God tells him, Sarah's going to have a child. Abraham says this, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? Verse 17 is a clear indication that Abram was too fixated on what? The physical. He couldn't get past it. He was such a student of the physical that he couldn't see the spiritual truth underneath. This is super important for us to understand. I hope you're not missing it. There's more to God's choice for this area on the man than just that he wanted an intimate connection with these people. There's a second thing, and perhaps even a more significant thing. This is the reproductive organ and the location and symbol of God's covenant because this is the place where man's depravity, man's total lost condition would be spread. You might be thinking, wait, what do you mean? Let me illustrate it this way. What happens when a Muslim mom and dad have a baby? That child is immediately labeled what? A Muslim. What happens when a Buddhist mom and dad have a baby? That child is immediately labeled a Buddhist. What happens when a Jewish mom and father, or yeah, mother and father, have a baby? That child is immediately labeled a Jew. What happens when a Christian mother and father have a child? That child is immediately labeled a sinner, not a Christian. This is what separates us from the rest of the world. Your children, when they are born to you, are born into a state of lost depravity, total separation from God. And so Ashley and I, and those of you who have children, we raise our children so that when they're old enough to make a decision, they will choose to become children of God. But they're not Christians because we're Christians. They have to make that choice. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. We can do all kinds of religious rituals. We can have them uh, dedicated when they're babies. We can have them circumcised. We could do all kinds of things. Have the elders come and pray over them. But this does not make them a child of God. All this is is a symbol of Ashley and my decision to raise them up that way so that when they're old, they will not depart. This is important. You know why it's important? Do you see what God is doing here right back at the beginning? 
It's interesting that they're talking about a, a Sarah about to have children right as soon as God is having this covenant moment where he tells them you're going to be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. What God is doing is he's starting to spread seed all over again. But not a physical seed. Do you know why? Because if God wanted to undo what was done in Genesis by starting to spread physical seed, that's already corrupted. All flesh would be corrupted the moment it's born. We're all born into sin. But God was going to start a brand new seed through Abraham. The seed would require Abraham to do something. This seed required Abraham and everyone who followed him to be born again. That's right. If anybody wants to be a part of the kingdom of God, it's the same yesterday as it was today as it will be forever. You have to have a new heart. Regenerated heart. Be totally made righteous like Abraham was. You have to be born again. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? Let me remind you. He said, how, Nicodemus said, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom of God. So listen closely to me. God branded Abraham. He set him apart with this new covenant, this new identity, so that he would be the father of a new seed. But not just that. Listen to the word I'm about to use here. A new spiritual race. That's right. A new race of people. You might think, whoa, that's, that's a bit of a stretch. I'm not, this isn't my word, I'm taking it right from the New Testament. Listen to what uh, the Apostle Peter wrote. To all of us, if you are a child of Abraham through Jesus, you are part of a new race. Listen to Peter, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. Let's put it up on the screen so they can see it for themselves, Frank. But you, Christians, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Does this sound familiar? a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Hear this with spiritual eyes, Christians. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people, a new race. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now listen to what he calls Christians to do because of this. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, just like Abraham was, to abstain from the passions of the flesh. This is the physical life. To abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul, the spiritual life. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, unbelievers, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What Peter is saying is that we are no longer a race of people that is governed by physical laws. You know why? Because if we were going to be set free, we had to be born again, made spiritual people, brand new, learning how to do life all over again. This is what happened with Abraham, and it continues to happen with us. So what is our goal then? Did you hear what Peter said? Our goal then is to live our lives as new spiritual children of God in such a way that people who have not yet been born again will see our lives, recognize that we're different, and will want to also be children of God. This new seed that is being spread 
Reproduction is happening. Disciples are being made. That's your job. Continue to spread the seed that God began with Abraham. Making new spiritual children whose eyes are also being opened to the light and being closed to the darkness. I hope this isn't going over your head. I hope that you're grasping the spiritual truths of what's happening here with Abraham and why God set them apart. That's the second thing we see, that God branded them for reproduction. The third and final thing, God branded them for obedience. Obedience. The last part of the the passage says this, verse 23 through 27. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house, or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, was, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house, and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. As we draw this to a close, listen carefully to me. God did not expect Abraham to understand all this. He didn't. He couldn't have. He expected Abraham to be obedient. That's what God expected Abraham to do. There's no way Abraham could have understood what was about to happen. Abraham thought, Abraham thought that God was going to bless him with physical children, and that would be it. And sure enough, God would. But there was a deeper meaning behind this. God was starting what would eventually undo what was done in the garden through the cross. But he had to begin with that first seed. And it was going to come through Sarah's child, Isaac. So if Abraham were to say, I have a a personal relationship with this God, a special covenant relationship that he's made with me, but he refused to obey, Abraham would be a liar. How can I be so dogmatic of that? Because it's exactly what John the Apostle says in the New Testament. Listen carefully. For anybody who says, I have a personal relationship with God, but won't be obedient, listen to what John says. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Oswald Chambers, the great devotional writer, said, listen, the golden rule for understanding in spiritual matters is not intellect, but obedience. Friends, listen, I don't I don't care if you know the whole Bible through and through and memorized half of it. If you're not obedient to it, what good is it to you? Spiritual maturity is not measured in your intellect, but what you do with what you see here. Obedience is what's important. Friends, I'd be doing you a grave disservice if I didn't talk about the symbols. The symbols, this, circumcision, what they all mean in the new covenant. Remember how Jesus talked about the participation in the Lord's Supper when he was in the upper room? Remember how the New Testament talks about baptism being a symbol of the covenant, like a wedding ring? This this is important. If you're going to listen to anything I have to say, I hope it's this. Friends, if you haven't been baptized and you consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, you've confessed him as Lord and Savior, but you haven't taken the first step since becoming a believer of being baptized, friends, that's disobedience. The very first thing that God says is, if you want to be mine, put your ring on. Tell the world I'm spoken for. That's what baptism's all about. Now you may say, I'm okay, pastor. I was baptized as an infant. Now let me address that. Let me tell you why it's not the same thing. Because if I was to 
get Logan as soon as he was born and hold him in my arms and say, I now pronounce you a follower of Jesus Christ, a Christian. That doesn't make it so. He has to have a new heart that makes that decision on his own. Otherwise, guess what? It's the same thing as circumcision. It's just a religious ritual that has no meaning unless the heart is regenerated. That's why you have to be born again, have given a new heart, and then baptism comes. Then baptism comes. If you have not been baptized since coming to faith in Jesus Christ, you need to do that. Otherwise, it's just a religious ritual that has no significance in the eyes of God. This is super important. We just baptized a young girl last week, and I was so encouraged to hear her give her testimony saying, I know this is a symbol of my relationship to to the Lord. I know that it doesn't save me. It's just a ritual. But it's a symbol like a wedding ring of my commitment to Him above all others. And friends, listen to me. The most important thing as we draw this to a close, if you haven't been born again, if you haven't been born again, all your customary things that you do to get to know God, You may have been coming to church for 50 plus years. You may read the Bible every day. You may, and some of you, I hope your heads will pop up here, you may have even said, yes, I believe in Jesus. You may say, I believe in God. But if you haven't been born again, none of that means anything. I can stand up here for the rest of my life as a preacher. If I haven't been born again, it means nothing. Nothing. And you say, wait a second. If I say that I believe in Jesus, isn't that all that's that's required? No. Demons said they believed in Jesus. Lots of people on the last day will come running to Jesus and say, wait, wait, we knew you. And he'll say, I never knew you. You must be born again. What does that mean? It means you need a new heart. Here's how you know if you're born again. Your heart starts to desire spiritual things. And it starts to loathe physical things. Do you know why? Physical things, a desire for those things, separate you from what you start to love the most. God. A born-again person will start to, over time, have a distaste in their mouth and in their heart for the things that are physical. I'm getting tired of this old dying world. I want more of God. That's a born-again person. If you haven't experienced those things, friends, and you've confessed faith in Jesus Christ, friends, Don't leave this place. If you haven't seen evidence of a regenerated heart, don't leave. Don't leave. You need to be born again. I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading. As someone who thought he was born again for many years and came to realize, I don't think I was. You need a new heart. If you're still longing for the things of this world, friends, that's not a good sign. This world is dying And if you're not born again, you're dying with it. Or surrender your heart to God and be born again today. That's the prayer of my heart. And if you are, God will put His ring. He will circumcise your heart. And you will be made a new creation in Christ Jesus. You will start to long for spiritual things and develop a hatred for this old dying world. And you'll be made new. Let's go to God together. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that if there's anybody here who is yet to be born again, I pray that they would put aside their pride, that they would surrender their lives to God Almighty. Friends, if that's you here this morning, I'm not going to ask you to pray a prayer 
I'm not going to ask you to do anything embarrassing, but I just want to pray for you in my private time this week. If you would just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm born again. Please pray for me this week in your private time. Slip your hand up and I will, I will be sure to pray for you. Thank you, I see that hand. Thank you, I see that hand. I'll pray for you this week. Thank you, I see that hand. I will pray for you. You can count on it. Surrender your lives. Call out to Jesus and say, Lord, I need a new heart. I need a new heart, one that longs for spiritual things because I'm longing for the wrong things and it's leading me nowhere. Oh, if that's your pray- prayer, cry out to Him. And if that is something that you want to do, come and see me this week. I'll make myself available to meet with you. Lord, we commit the rest of this service to you. Help us to worship in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.